Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. Jenna, first, good morning. Great to be with you, the queen of talk radio in America. The left does not want to honor our freedoms, and we have a responsibility to fight back. I love talking about the things of God because of truth and the biblical worldview. Fill that void with the vision that runs so deep that it dilutes the woke agenda. Well, thank you, Jenna. Right from the beginning, I knew you, so it's an honor to be with you, and you're doing really well. Proud of you. Former legal counsel to President Trump. Good morning. And I always love when my friends uh, contact me, they text me, they call me and they say, I've written a new book. And do you want to talk about my new book? Because I love reading books by very smart people. And I'm so uh, blessed to have so many really smart, amazing friends. And one of those smart, amazing friends is Dr. Carol Swain. You uh, should be following her on social media if you are not. She uh, is prolific throughout uh, media. I'm sure you have seen her on all of the networks. She's an award-winning political scientist cited three times by the U.S. Supreme Court and author or editor of 11 books and numerous opinion pieces. And she has written a wonderful new book called The Adversity of Diversity, examining the diversity, equity, and inclusion, or DEI programs and their impact on American society. So Dr. Swain joins me now. Good morning. Good morning, Jenna, and thank you so much for all that you do and for standing strong and representing us the way that you do. Thank you so much for that. And I so appreciate your support and encouragement as we've talked this week. And uh, this this book is so incredibly timely uh, as well, because uh, DEI, I think, the has just sort of come into the broader um, societal and cultural consciousness of, of Christians in particular and of conservatives understanding how it is, uh, it truly is impacting American society. So uh, walk me through what, uh, what motivated you to write this book and uh, what the premise is. Well, I can tell you that when the Supreme Court took up the court cases for, against Harvard and University of North Carolina, for discriminating against Asian students, I was quite excited because the DEI and CRT industry had grown so large and the discrimination against whites and Asians uh, had had reached the point that I knew that if the Supreme Court didn't rule against race-based programs, that there would be no end. And so 90% of the book was written before the U.S. Supreme Court issued its decision striking down race-based college admissions, and I waited for the decision. And I argue that the same grounds that make race-based college admissions uh, unconstitutional impacts every DEI CRT program in the country, and uh, and that includes the workplaces, organizations, in government that these programs violate the U.S. Civil Rights Act and the Equal Protection Clause of the Constitution. They don't bring about any racial healing or reconciliation. They divide males against females, heterosexuals against homosexuals, blacks against whites, whites against other uh, minorities, and they have to go. We need to go get back to non-discrimination, equal opportunity, compliance with the law, uh, outreach. That's where we need to be. 
Really well said, and and I couldn't agree more. And it's always been uh, fascinating to me to see why the left is pushing DEI and diversity, equity, and inclusion when clearly uh, this violates their very own premise that we should treat everyone with equality, but really what they're looking for is equity. And and so as you are looking at the response, uh, Dr. Swain, to the the leftist outrage of the U.S. Supreme Court's uh, decision and opinion, how do you think that's going to impact their strategy moving forward in the wake of that opinion? They're working very hard to evade uh, the intent of the Supreme Court ruling And so they're planning to continue what they're doing. But fortunately, white people across the country have started to file lawsuits against the racial discrimination they are experiencing in the workplace and in other organizations, and they're winning those lawsuits. And we find that many corporations are looking for an off-ramp. And I believe that uh, the Supreme Court decision gives them, you know, the grounding, the standing to move ahead with uh, with strategies that don't involve discrimination against people because of their immutable characteristics. So I'm optimistic, but you can expect the left to push back. I can also say, Jenna, that it's not about diversity because you can have diversity without discrimination. The left believes that racial and ethnic minorities and other groups, that they are inferior that if you hold them to the same standards, they cannot compete, even though you had people competing, getting into uh, exclusive schools before we enacted this regime that became on steroids after George Floyd's death. And I'm talking with uh, Dr. Carol Swain and her new book, The Adversity of Diversity. This is a compelling examination of DEI programs. And where do you think we are going uh, from here as as a society, as conservatives, uh, particularly um, people like I see that uh, Dr. James Lindsay, who's been on uh, this show a number of times, he's uh, one of my very dear friends, and, and he's praising this book, which uh, tells me all I need to know about how wonderful it is. Uh, but you know, he he thinks that this is just a matter of time. Uh, that even if it's called something else and the DEI programs maybe are going away or they're uh, they're sh- they're shape shifting into a, a different form, this is here to stay uh, because the left has really taken over our institutions, um, including the the academic edu- uh, institutions, particularly that are state funded, as well as the corporate uh, oligarchy. And this really isn't going away. Um, do you share that same, I, I, I think even James would say that it's it's cynicism, or are you a little more optimistic? I can say that uh, the left's agenda of critical race theory and diversity, equity, and inclusion, uh, and all of these concepts are rooted in Marxism, and they have infiltrated every institution in America, including the U.S. military. In fact, they've almost destroyed the U.S. military. So they are everywhere. But I'm optimistic that the Supreme Court ruling will give uh, people who believe in America, who believe in our Constitution and our laws, uh, the ability to fight back effectively. And so, of course, they are entrenched. They will fight back. 
they don't care about racial and ethnic minorities. They don't care. I would say they don't care about gays. They don't care about blacks. They don't care about women. They're certainly targeted Christians. And so they're about destroying uh, traditional institutions. They believe that racial and ethnic minorities are inferior. Uh, so, I mean, they will continue to do what they're doing because they're about destruction. But I want to be optimistic. I believe that once people have knowledge, and part of what I'm trying to do in the adversity of diversity is to give people the information and the tools that they need to be informed to know how to fight back. And so I'm not going to say that we can't turn it around. People need to know what their rights are. Yes, absolutely. And so give us a little bit of a, of a preview in terms of what people can do to fight back, because, um, you know, we, we've seen a couple of victories on, I think, a smaller scale here and there with some of the things like um, the Bud Light pushback and, and seeing how that was a win against uh, this DEI in, in a major corporation. We've seen what um, Governor DeSantis is doing with the Walt Disney Company, even though, uh, you know, I've been on record um, disagreeing with at least the, the methodology um, overall, but certainly uh, with his pushback against uh, what that, that corporation stands for in terms of uh, what their statement was against the parental rights and education bill. You know, so there are, there are um, some wins, and obviously the Supreme Court opinion on um, affirmative action. That, would, that was a win. Um, but overall, it feels like this is such a losing battle when we are when we see how prolifically um, DEI is is being integrated into every aspect of our culture. And so what are some of the tools that we can use as uh, just regular Americans that are very concerned to fight back? Well, first of all, there are two major wins that people need to be aware of. The state of Texas, the states of Texas and Florida passed legislation ending DEI programs in uh, state supported universities. And so they banned it. That could be done across the country. And I think people need to know, especially white people, Asians need to know that they are protected by the U.S. Civil Rights Act, that it's not okay to discriminate against anyone because of their race, their color, their sex, or their religion. And we do know that um, heterosexual Christians, heterosexual Christian males, that they have had a target on their back. Uh, You can file lawsuits. You need to learn how to document. Many racial and ethnic minorities uh, learned like decades ago how to document discrimination. White people need to know the same thing. Asians need to know the same thing. And the DEI industry uh, needs to go away, but not diversity, because we know that God is a God of diversity. You look out at the universe, and there's so much diversity. You can have di- diversity without discrimination. And for racial and ethnic minorities who are accomplished, uh, what the DEI industry says is that pretty much that racial and ethnic minorities are inferior. They don't say that outright, but they say that all whites are privileged, all minorities are victims, and that to have minorities, you have to lower the standards. That is a lie from the pit of hell. And, uh, and I think many of us know that that's a lie and that we just have to stand up for our rights. What kind of America do we want? We have civil rights laws. We should be moving more towards 
color blindness. We can have integration without discrimination. We need to go back to the golden rule, treat other people the way you want to be treated. And corporations need to get back to their mission statements. The U.S. military was set up to protect people from, uh, you know, foreign and domestic enemies. That's their mission. It's not social engineering. Get back to the mission statements. Businesses and organizations get back to the business of business. Amen to that. And so incredibly well said. Uh, Dr. Carol Swain and her new book, The Adversity of Diversity. And it's so true that the Christian worldview and God's truth that says every human being is made in the image of God, has inherent dignity and worth. We are all equal in the sense of our standing before God as human beings. And and yet um, we as, as a society, obviously, and then the Christian worldview would say we should not um, discriminate against anyone in terms of those protected characteristics like what the Civil Rights Act protects, but we shouldn't also prefer any of these other diversity characteristics and certainly all of this LGBTQ nonsense and all of the um, gender theory, queer theory, all of these critical theories that are rooted in cultural Marxism that the left wants to suggest. So really, um, Dr. Swain, this is a battle of worldviews. And that's what it comes down to and what I hope that um, that listeners really understand in terms of why this is so important to understand the threat of DEI and the impact on American society is because this is a battle of worldview to determine what do we as a society understand and believe about the human race um, and what human beings, uh, who we are as made in the image of God. And we have to get back to a biblical worldview foundation in our law, in our culture, and in the way that we treat each other. And so um, this book is The Adversity of Diversity. And where can people find this book and also uh, follow you, Dr. Swain? The book is uh, can be ordered from Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Logos Books, Nashville. I can uh, send signed copies and personalized copies, and it can be ordered through my website. And I am on Twitter at Carol M. Swain. I'm on Facebook, Getter, True Social, and and I have a newsletter, so you can follow me. I hope you will read that book as well as the book that I published two years ago. Black Eye for America, How Critical Race Theory is Burning Down the House. This book is the companion, and it really focuses on, you know, the DEI. It's in our churches, the CRT. We really need to clean house and get rid of the pollution that's come from the Marxist roots that have infiltrated our culture. Yes, yes, we do. Well, we'll have to leave it there. Dr. Carol Swain, her uh, website is carolmswain.com, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. Welcome back. And if you were paying attention to the news uh, this week in particular, but then also um, over the last several years, you have seen how the weaponization of government has created this completely false structure that is protecting Democrats and preferred individuals on one side and then specifically targeting 
the the non-preferred or political opposition, according to the regime uh, and the progressive lefts, on the other hand. And we're seeing how Hunter Biden is being treated. We're seeing that the mainstream media isn't even paying attention to uh, Joe Biden. And now that he had this um, apparently a, a pen name um, or a nom de plume that uh, he was writing um, emails and other things while he was vice president. And the media just doesn't care. No, they're focused on, you know, whether President Trump is going to be behind bars this week and is he going to have a mugshot and all of this other stuff. And yet this two-tiered system of government is incredibly, incredibly dangerous to liberty and freedom. And someone who has been speaking out prolifically against the weaponization of government is my next guest, Carl Zabo, the vice president and general counsel for Net Choice and professor of internet law at George Mason University. And so, Carl, thanks so much for joining me. And um, I, I agree that we need to get all of this sorted out before the next election. But how exactly are we going to do that when it seems like all the Republicans do uh, on Capitol Hill? And I have you know, very good friends there, but all they seem to do is put out tweets and, you know, very uh, strongly worded letters. And it doesn't really seem like there's a lot of fighting back and accountability that's happening. Yeah, thanks for having me on. And, and this is one of the big issues that seems to not be discussed by a lot of big media because, well, it's it's helping to empower the people that they want to see in, in office, whether it's Joe Biden, whether it is the Democrats writ large across the board. So what, what we are seeing is exactly this, the weaponization of government and the ability of government to censor free speech. We saw it a year ago. Most of us remember the Disinformation Governance Board. It was led by Mary Poppins. Fortunately, enough jokes were made about it. It was so absurd. It was so Orwellian. It's the type of thing you see in authoritarian regimes that it fell apart. But it did not stop there. We saw in the last election how the government was looking to make clear that the Hunter Biden laptop was fake and therefore crush all discussion of it. We see it time and time again with social media, as we are discovering. Now, you point out exactly right. Look, Congress, it's tough. It is exceptionally partisan up there on the Hill. I'm up there all the time talking to lawmakers about this. But what we are seeing, there is some good news. We are seeing the Republicans in leadership people like Jim Jordan, people like James Comer, bring to light this coercion, this pressuring of social media to censor content. We are seeing it in the Twitter files. We are seeing it in round and round of Facebook files. And we are seeing it in the introduction of legislation. Now, this is one of the important parts. We are seeing legislation that was passed this session from Jim Jordan, passed out of the House. It was called the Protecting Free Speech from Government Interference Act. And we are also seeing legislation from James Comer called the Free Speech Preservation Act. And what it does is quite simply, it says to the government, it says to the executive branch, it says to all those government employees who are supposed to be out there working for all Americans, not just Democrats, not just Republicans, but for all Americans. And it says, guess what? You cannot use your political position to pressure, to coerce, to censor social media. And the legislation from Representative Jim Jordan basically said just that. It makes it illegal for government employees to weaponize their political position. And it does so in a way that is actually effective, because a lot of government employees may not care if the agency 
gets besmirched. But this actually goes after the employees' pensions and paychecks, and that's something they most definitely care about. But the unfortunate part, Jenna, as, as you point out, is that it is exceptionally partisan. And unfortunately, on an issue as simple as government should work for all Americans, the vote was right down party lines. Republicans saying government should work for all Americans and Democrats saying, no, government should not. We don't support those types of laws. And that's the real challenge that we need to overcome. It, it is. And and I think that the Democrats are acting like uh, they are never going to lose another election again. And there's never going to be a Republican majority again in the House, the Senate uh, with a Republican president in the White House with how uh, brazen they are with some of these um, not only their pushes for uh, this type of overt censorship of Americans on social media that uh, what a lot of people called a ministry of truth that uh, that you refer- referenced and referred to and uh, and really with their nonchalance with all of this coming out with the Twitter files with um, the Facebook files and the Zuckerbox that uh, were used in the last election and uh, and then also how that has interplayed now with um, the Missouri versus Biden case and how the Biden uh, administration is pushing back and, and basically just saying, no, we want to be able to tell social media companies how to censor Americans. And so I don't have quite as much faith in the, the legislative option just because of the composition on Capitol Hill, at least currently. But um, is do you think that maybe a judicial path might have more success? I, th- I very much think so. Um so one of the scary statistics that I saw recently, and this was really eye-opening, for nearly 200 years, it didn't matter who was in office, but Democrats and Republicans, uh, the, the precursors of their parties, they all agreed that government should not be deciding what is or is not truth. Government should not be deciding what is or is not allowed to be printed. Government should not be allowed to decide what is or is not said. That was up until just just this year. Now, 70 percent of Democrats support and are calling for government to take steps to restrict false information online, whatever false information happens to be, whether it is discussions of shutting down churches and temples because of COVID, whether it is uh, Hunter Biden laptop. Seventy percent of Democrats now support government restricting false information online, as opposed to just 40 percent of Republicans, which that number has been pretty consistent across the years. That's terrifying. That's an overwhelming majority of Democrats think government should be in the position to decide what is or is not allowed to be said. And that's where the courts definitely do come into play. NetChoice, my company, we have active litigation against states like California uh, who are trying to decide what type of speech is or is not allowed to be seen or said. We have three other lawsuits going on right now, and they are all centered around the First Amendment, because this is what separates the United States of America from most of the rest of the world. We are one of the only nations that makes it crystal clear that the government can tell, not tell us what to say, what to hear, and what religion to practice. And that's an important protection that I think is being lost. So our courts are going to have to be the backstop because the founding fathers put into the Constitution a guarantee of freedom of speech. And that is 
firewall that we need to protect us against this type of government control of free speech. I do hope Democrats remember that they will not always control Congress, that they will not always control the White House, that they will not always control the executive branch. And just five years ago, they were saying how President Trump was going to seize control of free speech and destroying democracy. Well, guess what? That's the type of attitude they need to have regardless of who's in the White House. That government power needs to be curtailed, and we need to start limiting the executive branch. Because at the end of the day, that's where the rubber needs to meet the road. And I'm really empowered by shows like yours that are getting this message out to people. Because at the end of the day, we are also in the driver's seat. We need to go to the ballot box. We need to pull the lever for for the representatives who will defend our right to speak, our right to hear, and get government out of the role of deciding what is or is not truth. Really well said. And I'm speaking with uh, Carl Zabo, who is the vice president and general counsel for NetChoice and a professor of Internet law at George Mason University. And I think it's so well said that we need to remember as Americans that this is for all. And one of the things that really disturbs me about some of the pushback against the weaponization of government are is that 40 percent of of Republicans that say that uh, we should be able to uh, discriminate and to censor and and to say that uh, we can't we that the government can determine what is or isn't uh, speech that should be censored online or, or any of these things and some of the response has been in my opinion an overreaction to say well if the left is going to do this to conservatives then we need to fight back and we need to do the same thing to them and I'm thinking no 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 then we are just helping tear down the foundations of our liberties and we're helping Helping tear down the First Amendment, we need to get back to being balanced and saying, no, 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 what you're doing is completely against the standard of the First Amendment. And we have to champion the standard, not just this war of tit for tat. Otherwise, I believe genuinely that we are just helping tear down the U.S. Constitution like they want us to. Yeah, I mean, eye for an eye leaves the whole world blind. And that's exactly what we don't want. We need to rise above. Uh, A a very long time ago, I worked for the federal government, and what was core to me is public service is public trust. When you are a government employee, you need to work for all Americans. And we're seeing this across our institutions, whether it's in the uh, control of speech online, whether it is the weaponization of government like the IRS or the FBI to go after parents and schools, whether to go after churches and synagogues. And so that's what we're seeing across the board here. And if people don't trust the system, that's how governments fail. That's how nations fall. And that's where we need to begin at home, in our communities, rebuilding that public trust. And this starts with having free speech knowing that when I say something, that somebody isn't going to come in and try to control what I just said or what I can hear. And being able to trust in that system is what will empower us all to rise above it. And what I hope to see is more news agencies, more legacy media come out and recognize the important role of their job as the fourth estate to hold government accountable regardless of who's in office. Because Look, I'm a, I'm a Republican, I'm right of center, and I often ask myself, 
how would this be reported if it were a Republican in the White House? And a lot of people are frustrated because they see the partisanship. They see the partisanship on the news. They see the partisanship in the government itself. So what we all need to do is we need to go to our lawmakers and we need to tell them enough. We need to say, get back to the job of fixing the economy. Get back to the job of rebuilding our nation and stop trying to control speech online because all that's going to do is feed more and more distrust in the system. And so that's why we have our active lawsuits to protect the First Amendment, because at the end of the day, that's one of our most precious and powerful and protective things that we can possibly have. And that's that's what we need. And that's why NetChoice is up there every single day fighting to protect free speech, fighting to protect free enterprise online and fighting to protect our core First Amendment values in this nation. And I'm so grateful for organizations uh, like yours that are fighting the fights that need to be fought. Uh, because if we just sit back and, uh, and and either complain or just say, well, you know, nothing is ever going to change, then we aren't advancing and we're not going on the offensive. And, you know, you make also a great point, Carl, that if, if this was a Republican president in the White House now with all of this collusion with big tech and censorship going on, how would the media report this and how would this uh, be looked at differently? And we all know the answer to that. I mean, even with this latest um, indictment that obviously I can't comment on because, you know, I'm, I'm caught up in it. Unfortunately, it is criminalizing the practice of law. It's 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 attempting to criminalize petitioning the government for redress. And, you know, there was a piece in The Atlantic this morning. I, my good friend Mark Levin was tweeting about it that um, that a couple of lawyers have written what he calls a self-humiliating piece in The Atlantic, arguing the Constitution section three of the 14th Amendment's uh, prohibits President Trump from being elected president again. And he says, this is such a dumb essay. And, and I'm thinking, yeah, but the response to this is not going after those lawyers' bar licenses for presenting a legal theory, nor uh, the, the lawyers who tried to challenge the members of Congress um, under the 14th Amendment saying that they were prohibited just because they termed January 6th an insurrection. Um, nobody's going after them and trying to criminalize their practice of law. So we're seeing the disparity of of how not only the media, but also our institutions of government and our branches of government treat Republicans versus Democrats so differently. And that is incredibly dangerous for America. Yeah, once again, we're all Americans and we need to be able to speak, engage and have a discussion. And one of the things that we have seen is kind of a breakdown in society, breakdown in religion, breakdown in community. And I think that helps to drive people in different directions. With respect to what's going on with President Trump, at the end of the day, the fact that the media is spending so much time on this is appalling. We literally have a huge humanitarian crisis in our country right now in Hawaii receiving no coverage and all people want to do is talk about president trump will he be indicted today or not and that's really unfortunate because that's a time where we should all come together we should all send our prayers and our hopes to the people of hawaii and hope they get better and at the end of the day i remember when president uh 
Bush was lambasted for taking vacation during 9-11. Yeah, and, and, now, and yet Biden can do the same thing. So uh, it's, it's so ridiculous. And Carl, I, I definitely want to have you on again soon. There's so much more to talk about. Carl Zabo, Vice President and General Counsel for Net Choice. Uh, thanks so much for what you do. We'll be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the morning. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. Welcome back. And thank you so much to all of our AFR listeners who have emailed me and who have uh, contacted me on social media on the Give, Send, Go page uh, saying that you are praying for me and particularly uh, this week with everything that uh, will continue to come out in uh, the news cycle as uh, those of us who are being targeted uh, by this really just um, insane Georgia indictment have to deal with the legal fallout. And um, I appreciate so much the encouragement of God's people. And many of our AFR listeners have asked how you can help. Um, So please continue to pray for me for the Lord's protection, strength, and grace through this process and that I would be found faithful to him. And uh, that really is my my number one goal in this is to uh, respond rightly and Christianly uh, to this political persecution. And if any of you want to reach out to me, my email here is jenna at afr.net. And I do have a legal defense fund available for anyone who would like to help with the exorbitant legal costs. Uh, We have just cleared $90,000 in that legal fund, and I am so, so grateful for that. Um, It is very expensive, and I'm very grateful for your support in any way. You can help if you are interested. You can go to givesendgo.com forward slash support Jenna. That's givesendgo.com forward slash support Jenna for more information and to donate there. And I so, so, so appreciate it. Uh, And thank you so much for um, your support. And the AFR family has just been incredibly amazing. And so speaking of God's people, I am so excited that my friends at Turning Point USA and specifically TPUSA Faith are now partnering with Pastor John Amanchukwu and the school board watch list to stand up against woke ideology in America's wokest school boards. And so here to talk more about that is my very good friend, uh, Pastor John Amanchukwu. So, uh, John, this is so exciting. And, you know, you went viral for having this amazing and spot on just uh, preaching the truth at a school board. And so now you're partnering with TPUSA Faith, a what can we expect from this collab? Well, first and foremost, Jenna, thank you so much for having me on your show. Um, this collaboration is the amalgamation of individuals who feel that America is on a slippery slope and we're going in the wrong direction. I'm joining forces with TPUSA Faith and School Board Watch List to make sure that we address the issues of gender theory, queer theory, intersectionality and critical race theory that has been pushed upon our children and the public school system. I recently went out to Temecula, California and spoke at a school board meeting there and I delivered a message entitled 10 things black students don't need in education. Number one is we don't need affirmative action. Number two, we don't need equity. Number three, we don't need to be pandered to. Number four, we don't need you to dumb down test scores in order for us to thrive. 
Number five, we don't need a school system promoting a victim mentality. Number six, we don't need the soft bigotry of low expectations. Number seven, we don't need critical race theory. Number eight, we don't need reparations or any more welfare states. Number nine, we don't need to be propped up as the darlings of the LGBTQ community. And number 10, we don't need white liberals telling us that they know what's best for the black community. Now, that message really, really roused people up in the wild, wild west, California, right? And I heard so much feedback from it that I have some new titles. They're now calling me nationally, Jenna, the um, book banning pastor, the book banning <laughs> pastor. And they're also calling me a white supremacist because of that message. And so I'm trying to adjust to my whiteness. How am I doing? Do I sound white? You know, <laughs> I don't look white. You know, I'm a black yeah. man. Well, six foot four. I, I'm in Florida and I'm trying to work on my tan so I can be less white. So, you know, I'm there with you. So, <laughs> yeah. there, there it is, you know. And so, so many labels, white supremacists, they, they're telling me now, now that my wife has to be white because the only way that a black man can think the way that I do is that I must be white or married to someone who is white. That's just just look at how condescending that is towards black women and black men, that our views must have a skin tone. But my views don't have a skin tone because I have a biblical worldview. Um, I believe that the things that I'm saying, it's it's gaining traction in America. And, you know, the labels are a result of being over the target. But it's gaining traction because it's something that people want to hear. It's the truth. It's reality. And more people are saying, even as I'm receiving opposition, they're saying, hey, we need you to come to uh, Texas. We need you to come to New York. We need you to come back to California. Come to Pennsylvania. I'm going to Florida um, next Monday to address some things at a school board meeting there. And so we are seeing a groundswell of support and parents and teachers and even school board leaders saying, come help us. We need your strong voice. Amazing. And I and there is nobody better equipped uh, than you to encourage parents and provide these resources. And I'm so excited, like I said, for uh, this collaboration with TPUSA Faith and uh, Pastor John Amanchukwu. Um, w- one of the things that you said w- was so important, too, that I just want to underscore that the left would say that our views have a skin tone and they're trying to say that anything that is uh, really biblically based because anything that is truthful is biblically based and right. anything that is truthful is somehow born out of white supremacy and or white adjacent or all of these other ridiculous nonsensical terms and the reason they do that i think is because when they can categorize this as either racist or white supremacist or some label that we would, of course, reject, then all we're doing is arguing whether or not we're or not white supremacists. And we're trying to then argue over labels and rejecting that and becoming defensive. And then what do they get to do? They get to decline arguing on the merits 
of our proposals. And they don't even have to interact with truth because they're simply saying, well, if I can label you a white supremacist, I don't have to listen to anything truthful that you have to say. So we need to reject that completely and say, I don't care what you call me. Right. And just say, we have to interact on the merit of the argument. I agree with that wholeheartedly. You know, the labels are just the response of inflammation. Conviction creates inflammation. People get their feelings hurt, you know, and they don't know how to properly respond. And so they get angry and they make accusations. Paul told us that in the last days, perilous times will come and false accusers would be a result thereof. A false accusation in the Greek gives you the word diabolos. You know, and we know where there's a false accusation, there is the spirit of Satan at work. But there's so many school school districts and school boards that are focusing on external features. There's so much talk about the 1619 Project and or racism and fighting against, you know, white privilege and all of that stuff. But when you look at school districts in Chicago, 18 schools had zero students who rated as proficient in either math or reading in 2022. Um, in Baltimore City Public, City Public Schools, 90% of students are not proficient in math, and 80% of elementary students are not proficient in English. In, in, in English. The graduation rate is just 69%. And so there, there's so much that we could be focused on other than calling people white supremacists, whether they are white or black, right? We could focus on reading, writing, and, and arithmetic. We can focus on education. But that is not the goal today because we are fighting against a triune false god called diversity, equity, and inclusion. And if you don't bow to the altar of this God, you will be bludgeoned, canceled, and deplatformed. But I have this drive within me that says that I'm not going to bow. I'm not going to tuck tail and run. I will go to the wokest and the bluest and the darkest blue cities in America and address these issues with the intent of bringing about revival. Mm. Amen. And continue preaching and proclaiming the truth because we only bow the knee to God alone. And and that's it. And and we are promised that trials and tribulations and persecution uh, will come for the Christian. And it's not easy to uh, live out our faith, but that's what we are called to do in every sphere possible. And especially as parents with protecting uh, children in this country and making sure that um, th- that school children get the get education on the basics. And I don't think um, either, Pastor John, that, that this is a mistake. I think it's intentional that not only are the left up, is the left pushing this diversity, equity and inclusion nonsense and this indoctrination of this false ideology uh, to children in the education government funded system, but they're on purpose removing the tools that would allow kids to then think for themselves and not 
uh, and, and fight back and, and not become these uh, these little indoctrinated propagandists, which is exactly what the left is trying to create in the next generation. Um, this is the time and the moment, I think, in American history that we need to stand firm against this woke Marxism, this false ideology, um, all of this. And, and so... Uh, where can people go for more information, get involved, and what are you looking um, in, in the more immediate sense and also in the long term to accomplish uh, through this collaboration with TPUSA Faith? Yes, um, go to tpusafaith.com to find more information there. You'll be able to find a form where you can fill out information if you are interested in bringing me alongside TPUSA Faith and School Board Watch List to your area to speak at a school board meeting. My hope is that um, we will continue this movement throughout the course of this year and then bring it into 2024. We know what's coming in 2024. We're dealing with uh, the forces of hell. You know, We're dealing with satanic influence. We're dealing with a group of people who have made Marxism a religion. And the false idol, the false triune idol of diversity, equity, and inclusion, is it, it has enlarged itself. It's growing, it's building, it's gaining traction, and we must address these issues while we still have time. Absolutely. Uh, we have to while we still have time. And uh, this is, I do believe, a critical moment in American history. And, you know, for those listening, uh, Pastor John Amanchukwu, who say, OK, well, you know, I will pray for you and go John or go Jenna, you know, but but in in my little sphere, I don't have as much courage uh, to stand up and speak up. Um, how would you encourage um, the parent, the pastor, the family member, um, the, the concerned citizen that's listening right now who um, is concerned about being the next target of the weaponization of government or you know, being put on a domestic terrorism watch list just because they show up at a school board meeting? Um, what does the Bible say about standing up with courage and how would you uh, help parents and help um, all Americans who are just looking at this, like there's nothing I can do. Um, how would you encourage them to stand up and continue to boldly speak truth? Well, we, we know this, you know, um, Scripture tells us in Proverbs 28, verse 1, that the wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. We have the power through Christ to stand boldly, in the marketplace, and to contend for truth, con contend for the faith, and contend for our children. And so I say to the average parent who may not be as articulate or eloquent as me or may not know the details or even have the courage that I have, you have a responsibility to protect your child. And so tap into that defense mechanism that God gave you to be a protector and go to the local school board meeting and address the issues that are going on. Every now and then, take a walk through your library. Make sure you know what's in the library. Many of these books that are getting into the public school system that are pornographic are being brought in by, by librarians who have special interests. They feel that a child should see themselves represented on a bookshelf. So if a child wants to be a lesbian 
wants to be um, homosexual, they should see that on a bookshelf. If a child feels as if they are transgender, which there's no such thing as a transgender, um, they feel that that needs to be um, displayed for a kid on a bookshelf. Parents, you have a role. You know, God did not give the child to the state. God gave the child to the parents. So the parents have the choice. They have the right and the freedoms and the liberties to make sure that they stand boldly to address things that pertain to their child. Parents, you can do it. I'm pushing you on. I'm praying for you to join me even as I travel to these various different states. Amazing. Well, I am praying for you and joining you as well. Pastor John Amanchukwu, who is uh, collaborating with TP USA Faith. You can find both of them on social media and also uh, John's book at erasedbook.com. Erase. So erasedbook.com. And that's all the time we have for today. Thanks so much uh, for praying for me. I love you all. And I will see you tomorrow morning here on Jenna Ellis in the morning. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.